Kel. Hi, Tim. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good too. I noticed today that you seem to be quite relaxed, like maybe the pre-Christmas rush is largely over. Yeah, for me, well, I mean, I've just finished work, so I haven't done any Christmas things. So I'm having today to do this and kind of recalibrate a bit. And tomorrow I'll be doing the Christmas crazy stuff. Leaving it kind of late, one might say. What, you think the 23rd of December <laughs> is leaving things late for Christmas? I'm sure you can but do you it. Organized? You'll be all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to do. So I don't really do a lot of Christmas stuff, actually. Like we do family Christmas, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't do a lot of Christmas buying stuff. I don't buy into the... Thing. Apart from from me and the other band members, right? Well, yeah, of course. I <laughs> I lavish you all in Christmas attention and gifts and cheer and cheese <laughs> and cheese. Awesome. <laughs> so today we're here discussing our fifth album, "Rocks on the Soul." Did you listen to it? I did this morning. What was your first impression? I think this is the album I've listened to the most as a casual listener. Like I would often put this on to go. Oh, I wonder what we sound like. <laughs> And I know this is a very different record to all of the others. And so the thing that I really picked up on today after listening to the other albums as well, this has such a different production. And we all knew that, but it's very obvious. It's it's a much quieter record. There's a lot of, what's the word? Dynamics. Yeah, there's a lot more dynamics in this. and And it's very smooth. Oh, in yeah. lots of it. It certainly yeah. is. Yeah. And I was really noticing the smoothness and the yeah. quietness. And yeah. the, some of it's got like bass with no distortion. I know. And there's lots of space on the record yeah. as well, which is for us, it was an unusual step. Uh, we can go into detail around yeah. it, but it was an unusual step making an album that sounded like that. So, anyway, here we are, Screen Feeder podcast called The Ending Goes Forever. It certainly does. <laughs> Last couple of episodes, we talked about the weird like, little limbo period between Kitten Licks and Rocks on the Soul, where we put out High Seas, Triple Hook and Home Age. And then finally, by late 99, early 2000, the whole label and uh, contract sort of bullshit cleared itself up to do with the American label. And we are finally free to go and record our next album in Australia, right? Yep. Um, originally, we... We're talking to Ken Stringfellow from the Posies about producing. Yeah. But that ship kind of sailed in the interim. Like there was at least a year between that at discussion. And I think there was probably two or three years yeah. even. And it just kind of sailed by. Um, and then Shock or our manager, Joe, I can't remember who, said to us, why don't you do something really different and go to these guys in Melbourne, the pound system, these two dudes, Woody and the Rev. And we were like, yeah, whatever. Like, we don't care. We just want to get our record out. And it was funny because by then, half the songs that made it to the record, we'd been kicking around and playing them live for quite a while, a year or two. And half of them were like so brand new, we barely knew them. So we demoed a lot of them. But things like Close Again were super sketch-like. Yeah, so Close Again and Stopless and Delisha Uh are all songs that – I'm going to say they weren't finished when we took them in, but they were finished enough to record them. But we definitely knew we were working with um, like dance producers, like people who were going to be recording us on computer, 
with a different background that they would be producing us in a different way. So I feel, I mean, especially from my point of view, those songs were definitely open to reinterpretation and to be worked on in a different way, which is really different for me. Yeah, as I said, we kind of like were at the point where we're like, whatever, you know, if someone wants to take these songs and do something different with them, we're fine with that because half of them we're almost sick of already. You know, like we've been playing things like I think Mr. Tuba and stuff like that a long time already. Yeah, I remember um, it was Joe who came up with that idea. There was a connection and, and I think he'd sort of been talking to them and introduced the idea and potentially at first we were maybe a little bit like, mm, that's a weird way to go, but I think it was exciting. I think we quickly came around to it. Yeah, and I mean, think back to the time, it was really like the year 2000, the whole Triple J landscape was heavily influenced by rock bands crossing over into dance mm. territory already. That was a big thing. It was almost like a kind of um, trend that was happening. Yeah, and I don't think we were setting up to do that, though. No. I don't believe that we were going to do this crossover. I was. Looking forward more to being open to doing interesting things in the studio and also allowing a producer to do the job of producing yeah. in its in this new sense of like pulling apart your songs. Mm-hmm. And they did that too. Like they really worked on drum sounds and, yeah. you know, arrangements. arrangements and stuff yeah. like that. And with our other producers and engineers who we worked with, we did a lot of our own pre production and they didn't really necessarily have any input into our arrangements. Most of these songs were ready to go, though. I think it was just really the three of my songs that we were, I'd actually gotten to the point where I was, I'm very happy yeah. to let yeah. go of them. But then you listen to a song like Olive and the arrangement's crazy. Like they just chopped and chopped and chopped and pulled bits out and put bits in, oh, rearranged did they? things. I'm, I remember we did a lot of work on that song I remember beforehand. Olive being way more straight ahead beforehand, oh, okay. yeah. Um it was kind of cool because they were this duo who had this tiny little studio in Paran, and I don't think they were familiar with the songs beforehand. So what happened was we went in and we start playing them and we record stuff, and they almost looked at that as like, here's some shit we're throwing at the canvas, then they could do what the hell they wanted with it, which was kind of cool. Yeah. So had they not, they would have heard our demos. I think perhaps, but it wasn't like a case of, ah, you know, I think when you perform this song, guys, you should do it this way. It was more like, give us what you got. I don't care. We'll do the rest. Mm. You know, so Dean had put down some beats and they'd say, thanks very much, Dean. And he'd be ushered off and they would chop the song right up and, you know, they'd loop his parts all over the place. They did a lot of sound replacement, which I think was very hard for Dean to accept. Accept. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, it really brought an element to the band which we'd never had before, which is groove. Like, all the songs are on a strict groove and uh, Dean's playing's very much straightened up. It was very different to our previous albums because there isn't that freeness of the drums. Yeah, and I know that when we – I guess we were super close to the process, but when a lot of people heard it for the first time, they're like, whoa, what's going on? Because, you know, there were whole passages of drums where it was a loop of, like, one bar and things like that. Stopless has a loop that wasn't even – Ours. Yeah, that's right. What's the story with that? Uh, we can't talk about it. Can't we? Okay. No. It was nicked from somewhere. It was nicked. Okay. They would never tell us where it was and I eventually found out. I think Dean worked it out. Okay. But it's from some weird random place. We some never, real mainstream artist or something, right? Okay. And so we, like, we'll probably get... <laughs> 
<coughs> sued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they will. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Maybe we could Goodness. sue them in advance. Maybe. <laughs> Let's set up our lawyers right. and, and take a meeting. shock at the time. We were given the budget and we were flown to Melbourne for a fortnight. We put in accommodation about, yep. uh, what was it, a 20-minute walk from the studio in yep. Paran. We had a unit. And we would walk to the studio and home every day. Yeah. And um, I was obsessed with Blur and I was right. listening to one song over and over and over as I walked to and fro, which really, for me, pushed and informed a lot of ah, acceptance okay. of um, right. going into... New Territories. Uh-huh. So the song that from Blur that I was listening to was called Battle from... Mm-hmm. Um, 13? 13, yeah. yes. And it's got all this sub bass and it's got a loop. You know, it's dreamy and meandering. It's studio-y. Kind of thing. It's very studio-y. Yeah. And so that allowed me to be present and allow all yeah. this, like this different type of style of working. I remember we got up every morning and walked to the studio. And then when we finished every night, it was really late, like midnight or whatever, and we'd walk home and it was freezing and we were all wearing like scarves and hats and gloves and coats and whatnot. Yeah. Also what I remember about the studio was that they were moving into this space to set up a new studio, but we were the first people in there. They just unwrapped their computers. They just got a G4. Yeah. This was the first time they were trying Pro Tools. Yeah. They had another computer for Cubase, which is what they would always work on. But this for them was a massive learning curve as well. So we were their guinea pigs. And I remember there was heaps, like every day there was big technological dramas. Like, Defragging so, constantly. Yeah, the drives weren't big enough. The stuff wasn't getting saved correctly. Yes. They were trying to rig up tons of drives to access all the recorded you know, yeah, so data. we would lose stuff, I yeah. suppose, because there was this really big thing where if something good happened, we'd all go, save! <laughs> save, save for your, your lives! <laughs> so good. Even now I we think that to it. myself, yeah. <laughs> and also the studio was super small, remember? Like it had a live room, which is about the size of this room here we're in, about maybe three or four by four metres, and a little control room with a big desk and a couple and a of couch. monitors and a computer monitor and a couch, and that was it. Yeah. This space we were in was an office space and it wasn't right. a studio. Okay. And it was, yeah, purpose built. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd always get there in the morning and Woody was already at the desk, mm-hmm. coughing up, smoking, yeah. editing parts. I don't know if he slept at the studio or. Yeah, he what. did. He was right. sleeping at okay. the studio and I'm pretty sure he didn't see any sunlight for yeah. that whole yeah. entire time. Yeah. But he went grey. Like yes. <laughs> his skin colour started changing when we were noticing yep, it. Like he definitely. was literally turning grey. <laughs> we were a little bit worried about his health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and state of mind. And we would also eat at La Porchetta most nights. Yeah. I remember their tuna salad and pizzas. It was very good. Yeah. Do you remember also that Dean had an absolute freak out and we had to stop him from leaving? Like he was ready to board a plane and yeah, get out of there. Yeah, it was on the first day and we were recording Stopless and he was playing al- along and I guess it was the first time for him where someone popped him in a control room and put his headphones on and got him to play a certain amount of bars and they said, thanks, Dean, that's enough. And also, like, I think he felt like he wasn't nailing it, but 
yeah, he did have a freak out. Yeah, it was hard to see as well. Mm. Mm. And it was really worrying because, you know, he was very determined. Like he really wanted to leave. You see him struggling. And then when it was my turn to do stuff, I know I also struggled because I felt like I was, like I didn't know the songs. Like I felt very un- underprepared. It's kind of weird for us because if you think back to Kitten Licks, we took it upon ourselves to be like the co-producers as such and be mega all over everything. And with this one, we sort of handed over the trust, which mm-hmm. was a great thing to do, but you do enter that sort of like scary territory. Yeah, and it just meant for us, like when they were doing all of this rearrangement, we had to relearn the songs then, like on the True. fly. Yeah. So, you know, um, that's not how I would normally work and, and I'm fairly rigid in mm. my work style, I suppose, only because I want to do it really well and I need to be practised up. So yeah. doing it on the fly... Even though I guess we didn't really understand how you edited, we'd never done that because everything was live to tape. You'd have to do drop-ins and be really super focused. But this was like, just play it 10 times and they'll choose the best one. That's right. And that was like really unusual. Yeah. Uh, And now it's very normal and that's what you do. I remember the mixing, which we again did in the same session, was kind of fun. Like we'd probably bust through two to three songs a day and it was just super creative. Like, so it was like, okay, now we've got all the raw materials. Let's just play with it and see what happens. Yeah. Like, for example, on If You Lived Here, there's that field recording when we sent Dean out with a portable tape recorder and he went to the station and recorded the announcement over the speaker and stuff like that. Yeah. Another funny thing I remember, which just popped to mind, is it was like, right on the dawn of everyone having phones. I think it was Dean had a phone or you had a phone. I didn't have a I phone. But I didn't have a phone. Oh, okay. And so I'd be saying to Dean, can I text on your phone again? And <laughs> I'd send like thousands of texts. <laughs> and I'd have to keep a tally of them and pay him 20 oh, cents for every text. That's so funny because I remember going back to the hotel and calling Stephen and it was the hotel oh, okay. phone. Yeah. And, yeah, having to like, you know, you get charged yeah. for the minute. So and with the mobile phone, like Dean would be getting bills for four to six hundred dollars oh and dividing them up between me, you, and him. Oh my god! I don't know who I would have been texting because I don't think I knew anyone with the phone then. Because like you and Dean were the first to get phones, and I took time right. to come along. And I was remembering being at practice and just watching you two on your phone the whole time, going, "Hey, let's do some <laughs> stuff!" Like you two idiots, you just like and be now, present. Now it's like the tables have turned. Now it's like, <laughs> get off your phone, Kelly. I'm like, what? I'm answering an email. <laughs> I'm at work at practice. Give me a break. Funny, hey? Yeah. How it's changed so much. It's crazy. And again, you know, we've talked about this how free and easy it was, and yeah. in our book, we kind of talk about you just disappear when you went on tour. No, yeah. Like I was share housing. No one would know where I was unless they had my tour itinerary. Yeah. And my mum and dad didn't know where I was. I'd That's call right. them sometimes if I had spare change to go to a phone box. Yeah, we're so super connected now. And yeah. this was the brink. Yeah, this yeah, was the was. turning point. It really was, yeah. So what else about Rockstar Soul? We played different instruments. You and True. I swapped. Yeah, yeah. So this was also the first album that I contributed a lot more 
of my own songs, mm-hmm. not co-written as well. Like, True. That was very different for us. I think that was a major, like when I listened to the album this morning in the car, the two major things that struck me were one that, this is a cringy thing to say, right? And I'm cringing as I say oh. it, but it sounded like a band who'd suddenly grown up a little because it was a little more, you know, smoother yeah. and it wasn't quite as aggressive and manic and yeah. stuff like that, which, you know, I love this album, but I also love all the previous stuff, which yeah. is much more high energy and a bit crazy. Yeah. But I do love this one because I love the songs and I love the style of everything yeah. and I love it as a whole. But the other thing that struck me was, yeah, it was a massive U album. Like it opens and closes with your two big songs and it's got things like Delicia and Olive all the way through, which are amazing songs. And yeah, it was a real statement for you. Yeah, it really was. And I agree. It is the album that, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to like a bit middle of the road, but it's not because for us it is, but yes. it's in terms of the like general music world, it's not a middle of the road album. But yeah, we did kind of grow up. There was a long time between records. Yeah, we'd been through a lot of change and a lot of upheaval, and so we'd toured as much as we could, and we had to stop, and we had to kind of get. Well, I had to get a job, and like I was working a job, and um, kind of struggling with that because I was feeling quite lost and. A lot of the songs are also quite, like Stopless is a real big memoir song kind uh-huh. of thing. Yeah. And I don't know, I just feel like it's a middle point in a lot of ways where you get to a certain place and then you look back. Right. And it was a look at the future mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a funny one, but I love it. Like I'm super proud of this record. Yeah, me too. And I do love the quietness, mm-hmm. and it's funny because it sounds so synthetic in, in a lot of places, which yeah, is kind of hard yeah. to feel good about in some ways. But it's just what happened at that time. Yeah, and I think, you know, our songwriting style and our voices save it from being something weird and that we're not fond of. So as always, Kel, you've got some diary stuff. Give us uh, a little little insight into the Rocks on the Soul recording session. Okay, cool. So uh, it was Sunday the 11th of June 2000. This was the day before we are going in. So we're just getting ready. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for this for so long. We all have. It's here and it's now. We have to let it envelop us. I want to work hard. I want to not leave feeling like I could have done better. I know we can do something really great, something important. I don't know if it will be, but I want to be remembered for this. I feel that good about all of it. It will be interesting to see what transpires, but tonight I want to be quiet and listen. Dean and I keep being snippy at each other as we both get defensive. Maybe it's me. Do I inspire this kind of reaction? I don't know, but Dean really does react to me weirdly. I hope we don't have any fights. My thoughts here are low. I'm feeling like I've come in very underprepared and like I don't even know how to play my instrument. This is scary. I guess it's the way Dean felt when he was having trouble, 
But this is even before I've even put a hand on a string. I'm not getting much support from Tim. I get the feeling he is just ready to step in and take it off me. I don't need that kind of feeling looming over my already frail ego. But deep down, I know I'll go okay. I just can't get too sensitive and take the criticism as it comes and just deal with it. Wow. It's funny, like almost all the sessions that you've quoted from your diary, there's all these weird little personal niggles that we've sort of forgotten about, right? Yeah. And the thing about you and me is that in the practice room, in the studio, in the work environment stuff, we might have, you know, arguments mm-hmm. or robust discussions about <laughs> things. But as soon as you walk out, we're just goofing off and of being course. stupid. Yeah, yeah. I've not taken on yeah. any of these yeah. things. But, you know, a lot of it's my insecurities and neurosis and you're just trying to get the best of stuff and I'm trying to do that and I just feel a bit insecure about stuff. Sure. And yeah. I mean, I'm also someone who's like so stupidly adhered to their own vision of how things should be that mm. I often find it hard to, you know, include someone else's vision or someone else's kind of process or whatever. So it's yeah. a bit of that as well. Yeah. It feels very weird to read all this stuff out. It's very... um it's very personal and oh yeah, feel very vulnerable <laughs> <Yeah>. sharing. <laughs> but it's the funny thing is, it's kind of how we work to this day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the most beautiful thing is that you and I always have a lot of fun. Yeah, like we are really good friends, and you know, I might have read out some stuff where I'm saying we're having ego, yeah, head to head, whatever's, but wars, wars, <laughs> and creative um, disputes, whatever, but. Mm. We'll walk outside the room and just laugh about something yeah, stupid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Kel, there it is, the opener. I mean, it's like the most beautifully simple song, only four chords, it never goes anywhere. The lyrics are like a long stream of consciousness about you and your relationship with the world, broadly speaking. Where did it come from? Well, it's really out of my journals. I, and I remember writing it. I was living at Mount Nebo. Yeah, it's just like, um, it wasn't meant to be like the memoir type song mm. that it's turned out to be or whatever but yeah just all like bits and pieces out of my diary and yeah this song just kind of came out and really strangely I've had so many people write letters to me about it stop me at you know festivals to tell me how much that song means to them um you know another person I know told me that they did a school project on it where they had to let talk about the lyrics as poetry you know, it's really resonated with lots of people and I think it's just because it's really simple. I mean, at once of being 
lyrics from your diary, it's also talking about looking back through your diaries and memories and regretting things and, you know, things like that. So it's very personal in that regard. Like it talks about looking at the past in a sort of way which is painful perhaps or regretful, things like that. Mm. And everyone can relate to that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's four chords. Like it's kind of, you get lulled into this nice sort of Mm. rhythm, the drum beats there. My singing sounds nice, yeah. you know, and the guitar parts are floaty as well, like, and mesmerizing. It all came together really well. I'm very mm. proud of that song. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Let's move on. Yeah. The next song is Domino. Yeah. So Domino, as we discussed last episode, uh, it was going to be a single, but it never was. And uh, we had the version of it that was going to be the single version, which we re-recorded for Rocks on the Soul. And it was super similar. Nothing changed in the arrangement or the parts. And um, the panel system just, you know, said to us, let's just do it again so it fits in the album. Yeah. And do you remember where we wrote it? Oh. It was your house on Jubilee Terrace in Baden. We were sitting downstairs. We were sitting at the table and I kind of had that riff and the word domino was the only word that really fit with the riff because the riff kind of goes, no, 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 you know. And so we just started batting it around and, you know, throwing lines to one another and rhyming and sooner or later we had a song. Yeah, I do remember that now. And that was a really fun way to write Mm. because it was, you know, the song is kind of weirdly meaningless because, yeah, like, what true. does Domino yeah, true. refer to? Yeah. But then, you know, the verses are kind of a bit dark mm-hmm. about, like, drowning, like yeah. getting stuck in the undertow or whatever and didn't want to let you know. You know, so we're just, like, rhyming stuff. But we're both very particular about words and, and what words might evoke in the listener. I don't want throwaway dumb yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we probably spend a lot of time making this sound a certain way. Yeah. I love playing this song. Yeah. I love singing it. I love how it sounds. It's one of the rocky songs on the mm-hmm. album. It's like a real traditional screen feeder song. The arrangement's really kooky and it does odd numbers of things all yep. the time and we've got to keep our eyes on the ball. Uh, that's kind of just how we wrote that game. Yeah, and, it's all um, threes. Yeah, but it kind of like flows and, you know, you wouldn't notice it sounding awkward or anything yeah. like that. like we both got quite a high filter quite a high quality control thing so like the funny thing about that is that there's tons of our songs with weird little in jokes and 
nonsense words and funny things inside them. Yeah. Which make them in a way kind of kooky and weird, but at the same time they're really thought about and really considered yeah. and we've really put them through every test of their yeah. quality that we can, you know. Often with lyrics for me, the first line is the one that's the most meaningless. Right. And then the rest of it builds. Like I can't change the first line either right. because it's like what started the mm-hmm. song. So often it'll be the first two lines that kind of don't fit with the rest of stuff. Okay. But speaking of throwaway like in-jokes mm. or whatever, Stopless has one. Right. I remember being interviewed by Scott Mercer for his podcast and we talked very in-depth about this song and he asked, why is it that you sing that one line? Um, it's just never been a dream I had. Yeah, and that's about like I'm... About why I sing it, right? Yeah, yeah. so the previous line is, all the things that I will achieve in my life, it's not some nine-to-five thing or a housewife. Not that any of those things are bad, and you say it's just never been a dream I had. <laughs> not that any of those things are bad. It's like a reference to Seinfeld. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Wow. In what <laughs> you know, way? it's like, oh, not that there's anything wrong with oh, that. Oh, gotcha. Because <laughs> I'm sort of saying, like, I don't want to work full-time or be a housewife, but uh-huh. I know so many people who yeah. have spent their lives working full-time and, or, you know, my mum was working but also a housewife and I didn't want to, like, make that sound bad. But, yeah, not that anything is wrong with that. <laughs> and then you sing the next line and well, I was asked, why did you do that? And yeah. I was like, Absolutely no idea. I think it was just a mixed decision. Like Woody was just, let's break it up a bit. Yeah, it was just purely yeah. like a Aesthetic textural choice. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's quite funny. That is, Did you great. know that? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So back to Domino. I mean, really, the song revolves around that one word and the word could be someone's name or it could be a reference to the game. Or I don't know. It's just... I do remember afterwards going, this is awful this is not what I'm about, but I was like, imagine if we got like a Domino <laughs> sponsorship and they gave us money and it became an ad. Or they gave us free pizza. Or they gave us free pizza. <laughs> but no, that was never the intention. It was more, actually, you know what? Okay, this is what my memory maybe be, maybe be, <laughs> my memory. So remember we were seeing Joyce of Voice and we were getting those singing lessons and she was making us sing like um, in Italian. Yeah. And Domino, like, you have to pronounce, you've right. got to have your mouth in a certain way to make it sound good. I kind of feel like it was... It's a vocal exercise A vocal almost. exercise. Right. And just a very random word yeah. to focus on. Were we having lessons before this album or afterwards? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might have been the side effect of Voice okay. the Voice lessons. Yes. I like it. Yay uh, for us. <laughs> yeah. What's next? Above the Dove. Yeah. Um, do you know where I got the title from? Uh, I bet you it's a book. No. Oh, no. Oh, it's Sesame Street. It is Sesame Street. <laughs> there was a little sketch, a little cartoon on Sesame Street about something was in the sky above the dove. And I was like, that's cool. I'm having it. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> yoink. Yeah, basically. <laughs> 
this is a fairly complex song. It's a weird song about, let me see if I can remember it correctly, it's about aliens coming to Earth and uh, erasing all the knowledge that mankind has amassed or whatever and going, this is largely bullshit, uh, let's just take the animals and freaking leave the humans to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think, it, you know, that it, sort it of sums like it up. It yeah. feels like it's a dream. Okay. I don't know. Like, I don't remember writing it. I just remember getting the phrase and going, hey, I'm having that. Yeah, cool. But, like, um, musically and arrangement-wise, it's quite complicated or complex. Or is it not? I don't not know. Not really. No no more complex than anything else on the album. And it's got its own weird tuning and it's kind of makes the chords sound a bit strange. Maybe that's what it is. But yeah. there are lots of stops and starts and there's quiet and loud and... Oh, very much, yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of really filtered, like, guitars that are mega dull and, you know, very much like just almost a sound. You can't even tell it's guitar, you know, very yeah, processed. Yeah, actually that's what I was noticing this morning on headphones was mm-hmm. that it sounds like it's underwater. Yes, it does, totally. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of songs like that. Yeah, it's great. I like that. But again, it's like very kind of quiet. Yeah. And the end of the song has that berserk delay pedal freak out thing yeah. where you just grab the delay pedal and wind it out so that it just holds the sound and just throws it around yeah. and does all this crazy we were really noise with it. really into the old analog delay yeah. at that time. It's fantastic. I think it was also a fairly overused uh, sound on a lot of things at that time. Yeah, or for a sure. bit later on yeah. anyway. Yeah. Good work. That's Thank a you. good song. Thank you. Song number three. That was a single, wasn't it? I think it was the first single. We made a film clip for it. Yeah. And that was by Rachel Johnson. Johnson. We were all lying in a big we were bed lying in, in the a dark bed. and yeah. it was dreamy. It's almost like a fairly high production clip for us. For like us, it yes. was done in a studio with lights and yeah. things like that. Yeah. We also had this thing where it was like a water tank, like just a tray of water with broken glass in the bottom of it and you shine light into it and you move the tray and the water ripples and so you've got this beautiful, yeah, like ripply light effect. Nice. Very nice. Wow. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Have a look at the video. It's it's okay. All right. Yeah, wearing pyjamas and stuff. (laughs) I think that's the second video I'm wearing pyjamas in. But we made a really beautiful film clip for Stopless as well, where it like was very much almost like let's make it like my bloody Valentine. Yeah, it sure. looked like it was photocopied and yeah, that was a nice one. Yeah. So the next song is fourteen and forty four. All the fours. <laughs> Do you know where I got the title for that one? Yes. It's mm, a bus timetable time, isn't it's it? It's the 375 going down through Baden into the city that came at that stop at 14 past and 44 past the hour. Right. Which is like so boring and mm-hmm. stupid, but whatever. What's this it's song, song about? Title. Uh, honestly, it's a bit of a dumb song. I'm not crazy fond of the lyrics. It's just uh, I used to cycle quite a bit in Brisbane and I'd be out there with my headphones on super loud cycling, which is very dangerous. So yeah. I've actually had accidents from doing that. Mm-hmm. 
and just had huge rushes of adrenaline and excitement from the music and the cycling and it's just about feeling full of energy and like you can explode from so much energy basically that's about it yeah it's so much fun to play it's awesome to play because the riff moves in this certain way that grabs your body and makes you move with it yeah i just love playing it because i'm just all over the neck as well Yeah, yeah yeah it's so much fun to play Right, and it's got like um, a ticket to ride, a ticket to ride, a ticket to ride in it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, the Beatles reference can't go too wrong with that, or maybe get sued <laughs> <laughs> again. Again. one-note guitar solo at the end. Yeah, you got to love it. Track five is Delicia. It's one of my faves. Yeah, it's um, it's a good one. Again, it's in the A tuning, uh-huh. and so I just kind of wrote a bunch of songs in this great A tuning. It's E A D A A E, and it is like a whole world yeah. of possibilities opens up yeah. with this tuning. And so um, I wrote this on the guitar, and I think I played the guitar on the I recording. Think you did. Yeah, yeah. And you play the bass. Yes. So the bass line's quite jaunty. Yeah, I'm a jaunty kind of guy. You're a jaunty kind of guy. Jaunty McJaunts a lot. <laughs> That's what we call you when you're not around. Yeah, okay, so the lyrics for this, I'm really proud of these lyrics because they're really descriptive and they're not necessarily, you know, like journally kind of True. personal. They're kind of looking more at the world in general. So we read a lot of these books like Douglas Coupland and... I don't know, just all the books we were reading were often having, like, you know, very harsh assessments of where we're going. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that, you know, as a society and as, you know, humankind, we're making a lot of bad decisions. And so I'm referencing, you know, things like you buy all these things and plastics just piling sure. up to the sky and we don't even know how to write anymore and we don't know the essence of stuff like 
glass is actually made from sand. Yeah. Like all of these modern things are just taken for granted and we just a throwaway culture. And, you know, back in 2000, it was the, you know, the Y2K thing. And I guess we were all kind of thinking about the future and how, how we fit into it. And so this song for me is just a bit of taking stock of how fast culture is accelerating. Yeah, and I mean, as we said, it was also we were all tipping into that world of having phones and computers everywhere at that point. Part of it is like, you know, language and virus, one and naught. It's like um, we are turning into machines in yeah. some way, the way that we have no connection to the past and the essence of, you know, yes, glass being made from sand. It's yeah. like a natural product that creates an unnatural product. Sure. You know, I don't mm, know. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Thank you. Thanks no for getting me. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when we recorded it, it was all going great, but then perhaps you just did it, but perhaps what he suggested, you do the little come up at the end of the note. So it's, glass is made of sand. You did a little lift. Yeah. And that was the sweet moment. Everyone went, oh, yeah. So I had a lot of trouble singing. Right. Because I wasn't very confident in terms of my singing because I was still finding my voice and... I didn't have confidence to explore anywhere with my voice. And so I do remember Woody was like um, pushing me to try and mm -hmm. get different emotions yeah. into my voice. And I was, I just, that started pushing me further back into myself because I was feeling criticized and judged and I couldn't deliver. Right. And I was very down on myself. And we were doing a lot of using you know, what we call the grey whale, which is um, auto-tune. Auto so to me that felt like a real failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so hard. But there's a certain innocence about the way I'm singing on this as well because, like, I, I do feel I'm very trapped in a very small, limited area. He did try to get stuff out of me that I kind of delivered. I think also the thing was that more so than ever before, the focus on the precise melodies was really there. Like with Kitten Licks even, sure, there are melodic poppy songs, but we're pretty loose on them and we could do what we wanted. This one was like, the melody should do this because the chords are doing that and it would help and it would make it into a hook. Yeah, well, the chords are the bed. So the vocal actually really needs to be doing... Interesting stuff. The, the thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the things about my songwriting at that time. I was really getting into just having you know, four yeah. chords or like a simple musical thing and it's the singing that changes, not the chords. Or yeah. Oh, it's a super strong songwriting tactic. Like yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. I like it a lot.
Now, the next one, Metal Detector, is a bit of a weird one for two reasons. One is that it wasn't actually going to be on the record, and then prior to mastering, I was like, holy shit, it needs Metal Detector on there, and I called up Woody and said, we need to mix Metal Detector and have it ready, because mastering was like a day away, and I'm like, we need to put it on there. So I flew to Melbourne, we mixed till six in the morning, and then we flew to Sydney to master the record with Metal Detector on it. I do not remember any of this. Yeah, it was crazy. And honestly, like, it's my least favourite song on the record. I'm like, why do we bother? It was, oh. like, such a weird thing. I can remember writing this, and it was when we were going, I don't know, let's, here, Kelly, you play the guitar. And so I came up with the ding, 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 and I play that on right. the recording okay. as well. I think when you, we were writing this song, when you brought it in, we were like, nah. Yeah. It's a bit meh. It was, it was then, super late stage and it was something that it was just like, here's the parts, this is how it goes, and we didn't really have much time to work it through. Yeah. Well, I think I was trying to be too clever with my chords, which I'm often, you know, I often tend to do, and the verses are kind of a bit shit in the end as a result. And I thought that um, it was all, like, deep and meaningful, but it, in the end it's a bit boring. Well... <laughs> And the choruses are also a little bit shit because they're just these sort of like they're the last lines of the verse, which yeah. is just repeated over some loud guitar. get halfway through it and I'm like next yeah okay fair enough yeah next next <laughs> next is Olive next is Olive I love oh my god it's so pretty it's got interesting twists and turns I think the key you're singing is perfect the bass line's amazing I'm in love with this song I freaking dig it yeah right had you forgotten it not heard it for a while no I've heard it but like every time I hear it I'm reminded yeah it's really like I think one of the things that's so good about this song is it's a very nice fully rounded song you know like it's got the lead break at the end it's got a middle scoop out where it's just the singing it's a breakdown <laughs> you know it's a real song is there a reason why you Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, you know, as I said, prior to mixing, it was a much straighter song. We didn't have so many cuts in and out. Yeah. And I mean, like, it does cut in and out a lot, and it's like any more would have been too much. Yes. But I think they kind of nailed it, and they just applied a really creative thing to it and got yeah. a lovely, uh, lovely, interesting sort of arrangement. And I'm feeling like that's what I was talking about in my journal was that we recorded stuff, but it didn't end up being what what we wrote. So putting a bass line down to it, I'd have to change um, how I played it. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but they I would think cut it, it all know, up. With a lot of songs, like this one especially, it came out better. Like oh, it, absolutely. It, it improved the song, made it more interesting. Uh, it's got a Breeders vibe. It does. And I'm pretty sure that I was channeling the Breeders, yeah. you know, like with, well, maybe the Pixies with the Can't Start a Fire. Does that line have any special relevance? No, it doesn't. I think it was just imagery about being left out in the sun and yeah. not being... It was about a lighter. Frustration? Or? Well, it was like the lighter wasn't working. So, yeah, oh, okay. there was a frustration there. Um, do I mention a lighter in there or am I just making it... Yeah, no, so it's kind so. of imagining like this thing that's broken, left right. out in the okay. sun and it still won't work. Yeah, I was frustrated, you know, like... Again, looking back at where I'd ended up, I think my family stuff and being a person trying to navigate a broken family as an adult. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. I like it too. I'm very proud of it. Thank you. My voice sounds good. I don't thank know why you. I said thank you then. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm, I'm glad your voice sounds good too. Yeah, Olive. Olive. Oh, it's called Olive because... You know, it was that stupid thing where we have to call a song by a name that has nothing to do with it. And I like olives. Olives are amazing. Yeah. So I was just really into olives at that time and I just called it olive. <laughs> it's not a person's name. It's, okay. a, it's the food. Right. Yeah. Strangely enough, it could go with a Domino's pizza. <laughs> with olives. Great. <laughs> I see where we're going here. We're obviously hungry. Talking about pizzas and food and stuff. Okay. Mr. Tuber is next. Yeah, Mr. Tuber is next. Um, we played this one heaps. I remember doing it on tour, you know, for years actually. Yeah. It's another one that I stole it more or less word for word from Sesame Street. It's about like a brass band where this guy joins the band and he plays the tuba and it's really loud and he doesn't listen to what everyone else is doing and he just marches in and does his own thing. And everyone else in the band's like, dude, you got to listen if you're in a band. you got to, as well as make noise, you got to listen and you know, include what others are trying to achieve if you want to be in a band. And I thought, hey, there's a song, shit, that's yeah. amazing. Because, like, my daughter was four at the time. Yeah. So we watched a lot of Sesame Street. And this was back when they showed all the really old shit from, like, the 70s and 80s, the mm-hmm. lovely old animated clips and yeah. old songs, which I learned so much from, you know, sort of listening to how they put songs together. And, uh, yeah, so I, I nicked it from there. And, you know, I love that song. I pushed you guys into playing it just recently, right? Yeah, we've... Going back to playing it again. Yeah. And it's it's kind of nice, but you and I have also played it as duos. Always, yeah, and, totally. And um, yeah. it's a lot of fun to play. Mr. Tuba, your sound, it's beautiful and round, but you don't listen. The rest of the band, 
It's got that sort of like lovely long end section which gets all atmospheric and it's got a bit of uh, subtle field recording in it, right? Yeah, so you can hear, and I'm pretty sure it's Dean, because I know I did some of this stuff too, but I'm uh-huh. pretty sure this was Dean walking along. You can hear him press like a cross the road button and there's a bus pulling up and it's very quiet and you hear cars. It sounds like the ocean. Yeah. It's actually very calming. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. That was the third single. Right. Yeah. Gosh. We didn't do a video for this, though. No, we didn't. Okay, third single. Did we just put three singles out? Yes. Good thinking, us. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun song. Uh, Yeah, totally fun song. So track number nine is If You Lived Here. This one is super interesting as well. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so um, can I listen to it first? Yeah, sure. So if you lived here, if you lived here, you'd be home now. Where do you get the phrase from? It sort sure, of seems familiar. I'm pretty sure it was an advertising campaign for right. like a new suburb. Yeah, I think like it was. Like display home thing yeah. or whatever. And I remember seeing it and just going, that is a really great statement. Like if you, wherever you are, if you lived here, you'd be home now. <laughs> <laughs> and so the song is kind of like this, there's a traveling element. It's always about movement, mm-hmm. you know, like. Um, this person's driving home from their life, right. working life or right. something, 
but there's I think there's it's very hard to talk about this song because it's it's not really me like I it's come from somewhere else uh-huh. and it's like I'm reflecting someone else's life is it sort of heavy or is it just not is no, it just more incidental it's heavy it's like this this person's dying right or that they're potentially going to like end their lives right by driving home and not going home uh-huh. they're actually they missed their turn off mm-hmm. they missed the exit on the freeway and it won't be long so they're actually gonna like drive off a cliff or something okay so it's like there's two people and the woman i think maybe she's dying and the man is actually deciding he's just going to go off wow there's I a lot know. of story to it i know i never knew that and i can't really describe it because it's nothing i know about okay i haven't lived through this yeah but it's like a story I'm telling without telling much of the story. Mm-hmm. It's like um, my imagination. I, okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's really weird. Water's been flavored with fluoride. Air homes with shiny black power lines and neighborhoods electric. The reception's just It's also, again, a look at modern life. Like yeah. The water is flavoured with fluoride. The air's hum with shiny black power lines. The reception's pathetic. Right. It's all about this modern stuff that that's the only stuff we're really worried about. Uh-huh. And it's all the stuff that we see in our neighbourhoods. This eve of technology yeah. being our focus. And I guess a little bit of... Our personalness is lost, uh-huh. and so I think that these people are really struggling with that in this story. And she's dying, and he decides wow. he can't look after her, so he's going to go kill himself. Wow, I know. Right. Whenever I hear the song, the physical picture that it puts in my mind is of like a very American, like you know, new subdivision in a desert kind of picture. Yeah, right. Half built houses against. Yeah. Sandy backdrop and mountains. Yeah, that fits in the story really well. It's desolate, like right. it's disconnected. Yeah, uh, new urban suburban yeah. life, yeah. and how we're it's really really separating us from who we are. Okay, you know. Now, I need to ask you about the bubba bub section. Is that just us having fun? Because it sounds like it. Yeah, I remember working on this a lot in our practice room at yeah. Red Zeds. Yeah. We worked on this song for a long time. We probably almost maybe abandoned it at one point and mm-hmm. then came back to it. And I figure the bup 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 part was us, yeah, kind having of having fun. some fun. As was the big sort of chimey guitar part after it where Dean gets all Keith Moon on the drums. It's yeah. almost the one section on the whole album where he kind of lets rip and they didn't cut all that out. Yeah, and so that's the great part about this song. It does let us be us again. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's the field recordings from the train station, which I think yeah. was South Melbourne train yes. station. Yeah. And it's funny because the song's about driving, <laughs> but the field stuff is a train station. Yeah, true. And it's like listing off the stations and it kind of feels a bit sad and lonely, yeah. you know, because it was winter too. So I get taken back to that time. Yeah. Good afternoon, passengers. The next race, apart from platform six, will be the five. 
it's so funny because like as the song draws to a close, it gets really triumphant and joyous, which yeah. is so typical of us to sort <laughs> yeah. of forget about the mood of what the lyrics are trying to go for and just get all rocking on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I love the end chorus. Like it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. you we both have these beautiful harmonies. And guitar lines the and guitars. Stuff. Yeah, it's hard to talk about the lyrical stuff because I've never really articulated it before. Right, okay. You've never asked me, I've never talked yeah. about it. But yeah, it's a weird one and, and it's not like... It's very hard to talk about because it's not a story. Sure. It's this pieces of pictures to me. Postcards. Yeah, kind yeah. of like postcards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I go. like it. It's a good one. Yeah. Me like it too. All right. Yeah. Next song, The Singer. I love The Singer. It's like probably my favourite song of mine on the record. And when I played it in the car this morning, I was like, hey, I want to bring that back because it's like I know all the words really easily and it's uh, still in a good key for me and I really like the chorus. I do it at my solo shows and I repeat the chorus like crazily, like I do three or four times at the end and stuff like that. And um, the lyrics are mega kooky. I know. How many pisses have you ever yeah, done? that's kooky. Can you remember your favourite one? <laughs> Can you remember your favourite piss, Tim? Was no. it the one when you pissed on the phone that, <laughs> that you don't remember? That was a good one. <laughs> um, is that like about enjoying peeing so much that you like... <laughs> it's really the, the the pee-pee part's super <laughs> incidental. Like it's got nothing to do with anything. I, mean, I think it was just for a rhyme, actually. I wonder if you were thinking, I'm not going to say the word kisses. I'm going to turn it into pisses for like edginess or like kookiness. I can't remember. You might be right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember I played the guitar on this as well? Ah, right. Okay. So there's like two opposing guitars. Yeah. Looking back and knowing that I played a lot of guitar on bits and pieces, it was because I was bored. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm bored of playing the guitar. Oh, sorry, bored of playing the bass. And then I think we were kind of a bit stuck writing songs. So it was like, you go oh, here, yes, Kelly. True. You do something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So like with Metal Detector, I came up yeah. with that guitar line. So what it does is introduce a new element, which like that's why we started doing the keyboard stuff later. Yeah, that's right. To like just kind of bring in a fresh element to, yeah. like, make us feel excited about stuff. Yeah. And um, the lyrics also feature a ripped-off bitch magnet line about having a bucket of bolts and a jar, jar of pens. pens. Yeah, yeah, very good. I love how you can pull in these little snippets and probably I'm the only person in the world that knows it. There wouldn't be many other people yeah. that did. Got a bucket of bolts. And a jar of pens. Love it. Love it too. Let's listen.
know what? I'm going to push for us to do that one again oh, yeah, in band yeah, practice okay. because it's fairly rocking and fun and, you know, you've got a good vocal line on it and stuff. Cool. You into it? I'm not not into it. Double negative. I'm... You know what that trying makes? To fully, I'm just trying to... What does it make? Positive. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. Far out. I've either had too many coffees or not enough coffees today. Both at the same time. Yeah, the double thing. Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to move on. This is a match with I love our vocal harmonies and the choruses are great. Oh, yeah. We had the group of singers in there for that one, remember? We had a gang vocal. Yeah. So we had Leo Mullins, Ollie Brown, who's from Out of Fighting. Yeah. And Brendan Webb from From Sandpit. They were some of the best singers in the country too. Yeah. So lucky to have them. Yeah. Leo was from Two Little Dolby uh-huh. and also played in like the Welcome Map way back in oh, the yeah. early days. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that that was a coup. Yeah. And it was also the usual thing with us, get in a whole bunch of really amazing singers and mix them down so low you yes. cannot hear them. Yeah, yeah, I mean you can kind of hear it but not really. It doesn't yes. stand out. Which is a shame. Yeah. We should get all of these things remixed. <laughs> <laughs> you can remix them in your spare time. I would love it. <laughs> if only I knew how. song is close again it's the other awesome bookend which i guess goes so closely hand in hand with stopless like it's you know similar kind of vibe four chords same tuning um slightly different lyrical kind of tack i guess yeah it's sort of similar i mean i guess stopless is the taking stock Uh and then i think close again is the looking forward again okay it's a bit of a Looking at the world. Uh-huh. So Stopless is inner mm-hmm. and Close Again's outer. Right. Mm. Okay. Uh, can you give me an example? Yeah, so there's a big long chorusy thing at the end, which is yeah. like, every crime is intertwined for every one of yours is mine. Faithless hope, a tight rope. Or some easy Or an- some easy antidote. Yeah. Personal, Chernobyl, like generating a black hole entertain, don't explain, it's just a band-aid for your pain. 
I guess it's kind of personal sounding. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I was just so proud to be able to get the name Chernobyl oh, in yeah, there. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good work. <laughs> a personal Chernobyl. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very evocative, isn't yes. it? Like, yeah. I was always very obsessed with nuclear, uh-huh. either dying in nuclear You're war. You're of that generation. I know, yeah. and I grew up, like, worried that we were going to yeah. die from yeah, yeah. nuclear war. And so, you know, Chernobyl, when that kind of thing happened, I still kind of, you know, obviously years afterwards, I'm using that as a metaphor for a personal kind of yeah. breakdown yeah, yeah. or, um, you know, this ill at ease kind of feeling, which I think is just pervasive in society. The idea of, you know, Douglas Coupland does it so well. He talks about, you know, life without God, life growing up thinking that we're all going to die from nuclear yeah. holocaust. The idea of this accelerated culture uh-huh. that, you know, Gen X is, um, we're all just kind of hanging on, yeah. you know, and we're speeding through life and um, it's a bit scary sometimes. But so, yeah, I guess... Maybe this song is more personal than what I sort of said earlier. Uh-huh. But it's less specifically personal about you and your diaries and your particular memories and feelings towards them. Yeah, I'm just trying yeah. to paint a bleak picture. Yes. Yeah, you're succeeding. <laughs> yeah. And it's got the massively long, like we just went crazy on the editing and the, you know, effects and the parts and it's got all these crazy sort of counter melodies. You're playing bass on this. Yeah. And so this is one of the great things I love about this song is your bass lines and you're doing like lead stuff yeah. on the bass. Yeah, yeah. It sounds so great and it's all delayed as well and there's, you know, it just sounds so good. Yeah, and Woody just edited tons of your vocal lines mm-hmm. in as like refrains that, yeah. you know, just put them in as texture and colour, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think this song really succeeds in being its little dark, brooding personality. Yeah, and that... The fact that it's mega long is a great closer for the album. Yeah. Um, one thing I don't like in some of these songs is the weird processed drum sounds. I guess it was something we weren't, like, our ears weren't tuned into it as such in the room. It was a mm-hmm. secondary thing. Like, we yeah. were more about the guitars, maybe the vocals, and the bass even like it was almost like we handed them the reins to do the rhythm section stuff and we just kind of like okay we don't have to think about it they've yeah. got that under control yeah and also there's the whole thing when you're mixing you're probably mixing sort of loud and it all sounds a bit kind of like hot because it's unmixed and uncompressed mm-hmm. and then you do the final mix and you compress it and it all kind of tidies it up a little further mm-hmm. and it's always like it's always a shame to go from the sort of semi-mixed, unmixed sound 
to the final mix because the mix tidies things up really and when you're listening to it on mix various things are mega loud and they're super exciting and it's all mm-hmm. a bit crazy mm-hmm. and mixing always tidies things up and it's I've always experienced that as a bit of a oh, I yeah. mean it's great now it's mixed but it was sounding so crazy and wild before yeah, that's like demoitis yeah true yeah This album was received with very mixed reviews. Yeah, Some totally. people that who were really big Screen Feeder fans and personal friends were like, can't do this record. Yeah, yeah. But then there's some people who are like, this is my favourite yes. Screen Feeder record. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of divided people. I reckon that if people went back to it now who didn't like it, then would probably be surprised at how the guitars are actually in there yeah. when you think they're not. Yeah. There's all the elements of Screen Feeder. It's just been treated differently. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of songs like Olive and If You Live There where the guitars are actually fairly forthright. I guess it's just stopless when it kicks in. It doesn't really kick in. Yeah. Like, it comes in and it eases in. Yeah. Which is very different from any other album opener we've ever had, which yeah. is always, like, punch. Yeah. You know? And I do think that's disappointing because I would love to hear just kick in the face of guitars too. But it would make it so different and it might not really suit stopless. Maybe. Mm. Maybe we should remix it. Well, we've got so many live versions yeah, and remixes of it already on various things. Yeah. I remember this one gig we played. It was in Toowoomba. It was at that little pub, the Spotted Cow. Uh-huh. I was in the middle. It was one of the first times I played in the middle too, I think. You and Derek were either side of me. And I just remember, and I'll never forget this, being so in the moment to like be present, to notice what you and Derek were doing at that time. And I just remember being lost in it and going, this is incredible. If I never feel this again, I'm feeling it now and it's okay. (laughs) Wow. I just remember being enveloped. I was just right in the sweet spot for both guitars. Wow. And um, it was wild. It was so great. So usually we kind of stick to the same stuff on the guitar uh, with every playing of the song, but... Often we'll wander off and we Mm. might get what we're doing, you know, we might place it at a different point in the song so we're not playing the same thing at the same time. And uh, often, you know, the longer the song goes, I'll get a bit more random on it and take it up and take it down and it's, yeah, it's great fun. I can play it all night. We never know when it's going to end. That's the other thing. If you come and see us play live, we do not know how we're ending this song when we start it. We never do. You could almost say the ending goes... Forever. Forever. Goodness. We've gone full circle. I feel like that's the point we need to end. Do we? Shall we? Might we? I think yes. Because <laughs> you're not saying anything. You're <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> still here. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Rocks on the Soul. That is yeah. a great place to end. Yeah. We don't need to prattle on any more about it. But nothing more anyway. Yeah. Thanks for um, tuning in. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks for sticking with us on Patreon and listening to our podcast. We need to do our band meeting sometime soon. That's true. With our patrons. Um, There's a few of you now. We love you to pieces. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's really amazing that we've got all these people along for the ride. And with that, goodbye. it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.